Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It's my great pleasure to welcome Barry Carter. He is well-known in the field of Ormus. Ormus is a particular material, which is the basis of the entire show. It's ancient knowledge, but today it's new knowledge that will impact plants, anything that's living, your body, your sense of well-being, John Maluski says that the periodic table of elements needs to be changed. This has to do with superconductivity and superliquidity. Our guest is the master key holder to the library of everything Ormus. For some people, Ormus is considered mana, energy, organ, chi. Some people call it the philosopher's stone, the holy grail. We're going to find out that the implications are so incredible for well-being and for life itself that we have to pay attention to this new knowledge and this new science. A couple of years ago, It's Rainmaking Time did a segment on holographic technology. And one of the reasons that I invited the guest is because the guest was on the cutting edge of what was supposedly known in science. He was written up in Nature magazine. There was a lot of excitement about him and his findings. And something prompted me to go to the patent research library and see what was there in the area of holographic technology, only to find out that a military-grade patent was filed 40 years before this gentleman's work came out that was way more advanced, way more robust, that includes sound, light, CGI, and military applications for holographic technology. Now, if it was filed 40 years ago, we can only imagine where it must be today. And so what you hear in terms of radio, television, and print as the new knowledge may not be the new knowledge at all. It may only be the trickling out of what is allowed to come to the public. So don't think that because you haven't heard of something that it's not credible or it's not real or it doesn't have a basis in science. Remember that oftentimes in the scientific world and in academia itself, the very institutions are the dragons guarding the gate of the new knowledge and the introduction and availability of it to the public. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm welcome to Barry Carter. Welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. Thank you. I'm really delighted to have you on the show. And I'm so excited not only that you are the master key holder to the Library of Everything Ormus, which I know you're going to take time and explain to all of us, but I'm excited because of the implications of something that is in the air, in the water, and in our bodies. And I'm told 5% of our brains hold the elements of Ormus in it, that plant growth, wellness, the whole area of the food supply could be transformed so quickly with this knowledge and application. I'm so excited because there's so much going on that is disrupting the food supply, the seed supply, the water supply, and everything that is biologically good for humanity and animals that I really want you to share with us. What is Ormus? It's a group of elements that are in a different state of matter. Imagine that uh, you've got solid, liquid, gas, those are different states of matter. Well, there's also an Ormus state, it appears. And about 40 elements have been um, identified as being able to be in, a, in, in the Ormus state. And there may be more. We don't know. And in this state of matter, they're single units. 
They're no longer connected to each other in the ordinary way that elements are connected, like in metals and so on. An example is gold. Metallic gold is uh, shiny and hard and pretty stable as a metal. Ormus gold is a white powder that'll fly away from your fingers if you move your fingers under it, under certain circumstances. It is not identifiable spectroscopically as gold. Now, the ancients talked about just such a thing. In the Bible, it talks about Moses burning the golden calf and strewing it on the water and having the children of Israel eat of it. Gold isn't generally thought of being something you can consume, and yet here's a biblical reference to people eating it. The ancients also talked about the manna from heaven and related it to gold and Moses and that sort of thing, too. So there are other ancient references to these materials. There's prana and chi and things in in Eastern religions, India and Tibet and so on, where they talk about gold and other elements having an edible form. Well, it's relatively easy to convert gold into its warmest form. Can I just interrupt you for just a moment here so that we, the audience, and me are not lost on this one part? Still, when you're referring to the Ormus, is it a liquid? What is it? It can be a solid, liquid, or a gas. Okay. It most often is referred to as a white powder, although prana and chi would be Ormus that is in the air and is not visible and... Um, you have to use a special breathing technique to get it out of the air or concentrate it from the air into your body. I have colleagues who have actually trapped Ormus out of the air and converted it to metal. Are you talking about John Maluski and Joe Blankenship, or are you talking about other people like that? John Maluski has done some of this, but I have a, a friend uh, named Jim who ran a magnetic trap. Since these elements in the Ormus form have properties of superconductors. They don't conduct electricity, but they're repelled by electrical fields, like a superconductor will levitate on a magnetic field. Jim, he doesn't want his last name known That's fine. or anything no problem. like that. He developed a way to trap these elements out of air or out of water. There's a very simple magnetic trap. Basically, what, what the magnetic trap does is it levitates the Ormus away from a magnet and concentrates it in a certain part of the trap. And then you extract the Ormus from that part of the trap. A very simple example is take a tin can, like a soup can, and put a strong magnet on the bottom of it and put water in the soup can and stir the water. After letting it sit for maybe two or three hours, you can take an eyedropper and take a couple of eyedroppers full of water out of the center at the top. The center at the top is the furthest part away from the magnetic walls of the tin can. You follow me? Yes. That will give you an Ormus concentrate from water. Different waters will give you different results. Some people will feel it, some people will not. But there's nothing in there but water and magnetism. Well, as long as you use a BPA-free tin can. 
Would it work the same with glass? You can use glass if it's inside of a tin can. Oh, I see. The, the magnetic field is an important part. I often put a glass jar that fits tightly into a tin can. Now, that's a very, very easy way to make ormus or concentrate ormus from, from water. You could do something similar with air using a, a, a more sophisticated trap design. And there are trap designs on my website for air traps and so on. Can you talk a little bit about how you've used Ormus? The one has to do with the extraction or getting it, making it. The other has to do with applications for, I think it would be exciting to the audience to hear how you've applied it and what's happened. And then we can get back into how to make it because I don't think we know what the it is yet. (laughs) A colleague is using a magnetic trap on a spring on the upper Snake River in eastern Idaho to concentrate Ormus out of the water. He then makes a product that he sells for plant application. It's called Garden Shot, G-A-R-D-E-N-S-H-O-T. He mixes this water with worm castings and fish poop and sells it by the gallon or larger containers. And I've been using that on my houseplants. I used to water my houseplants about once a week, 15 years ago or so. And I use a shamrock plant to gauge when it's time to water my plants because this shamrock plant starts to droop and I know that it's time to water, water my plants. Since I've been using this garden shot on my plants, they have taken longer and longer to need water. My shamrock plant, I now water it every six to eight weeks. You know, it's hard to believe, but I hear you. But it's hard to believe it's so wild, isn't it? It is absolutely incredible. Can you think of any way that it might be beneficial to be able to grow bigger plants using less water? It's beneficial right now all over the world with what's going on with water. There's water shortages around the world. There's drought around the world. And recently I added some seawater precipitate called Seacrop, S-E-A-C-R-O-P.com is where where the website is, to my house plants. I've been putting it on my outdoor plants as well. How do you know how much to put, like what the ratio is? It's a very, very low ratio. It's typically... um, Like a homeopathic dose kind of thing? Almost. It would be like three gallons per acre. Wow. When you talk about the application rate for any fertilizer, it's hundreds of gallons per acre. It's not three gallons per acre. We're seeing a doubling or nearly doubling of production in a couple years. Is it true that when you use Ormus for plant growth, it does not attract pests or fungus because it doesn't emit a certain type of gas? Yes. Dr. Phil Callahan. His name comes up almost every show I do in this area of science. Yes. He knows that unhealthy plants emit gases and frequencies of energy that attract insects that will kill the plants and and damage them. But healthy plants do not. And he has some experimental evidence to support this. Paramagnetism, Nature's Secret Force of Growth is one of Philip Callahan's books. Wonderful book. And in that, he has, has used things like shape 
a pyramid shape or the shape of an obelisk, like the Washington Monument, something shaped like that, that literally will change the water and change the growth of plants. How could something like that happen? What's going on? Why does that work? What we think is going on with the Ormus is that it superconducts our thoughts and the thoughts of every cell and maybe the thoughts of every water molecule. Masaru Emoto in Japan proposed that you could put a word on the outside of a water bottle and then freeze the water in the bottle and get ice crystals that their shape depended upon the word that was put on the outside of the bottle. A negative word would give you ugly-looking ice crystals, and a positive word would give you beautiful-looking ice crystals. And Dr. Dean Radden actually did a confirmation, a triple-blind study of water that was located in New York State and was influenced by people in Japan. Wow. And they were projecting their thoughts on these water bottles. And in a triple-blind study, people that didn't know which water bottle was influenced and which one wasn't, they could tell which ones were influenced at a rate that was significantly... Noticeable? Provable, yeah. Provable and noticeable. Did they say it was sweeter? I mean, did they have particular adjectives that they described the water? No, no this is just, just the shape of the crystals when they froze the water. Wow. So that is evidence of what Einstein dismissed as spooky action at a distance. But there's a lot of people that are discussing the possibility or evidence for spooky action at a distance. They call it quantum coherence. They call it... Um, Let's talk about quantum coherence for a moment, can we? Sure. I heard in one of your interviews, you were talking about how the cells communicate with each other. And that somehow Ormus is involved in this. Is that an example of quantum coherence? Yes. Can you describe why and what that's about? Basically, imagine that cells have thoughts. All living things have thoughts, let's say. And these thoughts, this information is conveyed in some way. A colleague in Australia, a guy named Peter, designed the electronic controlling systems for rockets. One problem with these is the information has to go really fast between the nose cone where the computer is and the jets on the bottom of the rocket, which adjust as the rocket's going up through the layers of the atmosphere. It'll hit wind and layers of disturbance and so on. And the jets have to be adjusted really quickly by the, the computer. And so he had to calculate how fast that adjustment had to happen, how fast the information had to travel in order that a gust of wind wouldn't knock the rocket over and come back down and hit people. He also was aware of the rate of travel of nerve impulses. Nerve impulses traveled about the speed of sound. Oh, this is the ping pong example, right? Yeah. Talk about that. Oh, my God. That was so interesting. Continue, please. Well, here's what he wrote. Considering the reported association of Ormus with superconductivity, Ormus elements may have the necessary attribute to explain, for example, the dazzling speed and exquisite precision of a world-class table tennis player. 
with neurons having a bioelectric transmission velocity of approximately four feet per second, no way can the biochemical nervous system form the basis of calculating trajectories and controlling responses at that level. In other words, no way you can play ping pong <laughs> based I on love nerve it. impulses. As an engineer with experience in the specialty of closed-loop control, I can state with complete certainty that the CNS, central nervous system, is short of the bandwidth required for that sort of activity by at least four orders of magnitude. Wow. That would be 10,000 times too slow to play ping pong. Our nerve impulses travel 10,000 times too slow to play ping pong. That is so profound. This is about the details, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. When you start putting the details together, you get a quite beautiful, interesting, riveting puzzle. So what we think is going on, and this could possibly explain all of the benefits of Ormus, is it's improving the connection between the cells, improving the, let's say, quantum coherence, instantaneous communication, non-local communication, whatever you want to call it, the connection between the cells and the water molecules in, in Emoto's work and the information transfer in Phil Callahan's work, it's improving that connection. It, it's sort of like when I first got my computer, got my first computer, I connected to the internet with a dial-up modem, and it was slow. You know, no way you could watch a video. It was really hard to listen to sound. You'd have to download it first, and, and it'd take hours, and then listen to it. People have gone from dial-up to high-speed. Well, this is what we think is going on with the ormus. When we increase the amount of ormus in the body or in a plant, we're increasing the connection. We're going from dial-up to high speed. I feel like I'm in a little bit of a paradox. I just want to go back for a moment to bring the audience up to speed 100%. If we can't measure Ormus by spectrometer, yet we want to increase it for plants, for living things, and for us as living things, how do we know we're increasing it? One way is you can convert metal to Ormus, and, and there are fairly easy ways to convert metal into Ormus. And obviously, um, converting gold enough to put on your, your house plants um, or your garden or your farm from gold isn't going to be very cost-effective. But you can make it from metal and literally prove that it's not there. Don Nance has his oceanalchemy.com has taken gold metal and converted it into Ormus gold using a method that I discovered. And when he then sent this resulting white powder into assay, it assayed as having under three parts per billion gold. This was pure gold. Under three parts per billion, it disappeared. It was not assayable anymore. But it still has other properties that you can identify. You can weigh it. You can make a comparison of the weight and the size and things like that. You can find out at what temperature it evaporates or what temperature it becomes a liquid. Different processes can be used 
to give you physical measurements of it, even though it isn't assayable using spectroscopic assay. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. No matter what the state of the economy is, there will always be time-honored traditions and special events. The Sterling Hut has been in business since 2008, offering a wide range of fantastic sterling silver products, including finely crafted mint julep cups, personalized baby shower gifts, photo albums, exquisite jewelry boxes and awards, and so much more. The Sterling Hut is an authorized Silver Star international reseller of fine silver products and anniversary gifts. The business is owned by Jewel and Bob Howard. If you would be interested in buying someone a gift of pure sterling silver or sterling plated silver, you can call 1-888-819-1009. Get a 15% discount by going to the Sterling Hut, the Sterling, S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G, Hut, H-U-T, dot com, and saying it's rainmaking time. They will honor a 15% discount for you. Beautiful sterling silver gifts for all of life's occasions. Manufactured in Italy and handcrafted by skilled artisans. They can also be engraved in sterling picture frames, oval and rectangular silver trays, champagne ice buckets, silver goblets, coffee and tea service, coffee pots, silver mugs, candelabras, and silver jewelry unrivaled in design and style. Go to the Sterling Hut at sterlinghut.com. And back to the show. Do you agree with some of the statements made that the electromagnetic spectrum via microwave smart meters are so interfering with our biology that they're actually depleting whatever Ormus supplies are in our bodies now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I tell people, Wi-Fi won't make your wife high, just makes her confused. <laughs> We're exposing ourselves to high-energy radiation. Dr. John Maluski has actually microwaved glass and converted it to metal. Not huge amounts of metal, but significant amounts of metal. He's literally made gold from glass. And this suggests that Ormus gold in the glass assays as silica. Well, David Hudson, uh, who originally discovered these elements back in the late 70s and early 80s and talked about them in lectures in the 90s, says that the Ormus elements, gold included, will falsely assay as iron, silica, aluminum, calcium, depending upon whether it's solid, liquid, gas, or other factors. And these false assays may be why what we think is glass is really silica plus gold plus other How elements. How interesting. Do you agree that the periodic table of elements needs to be changed? I think we need to add a new state of matter to it. Okay. Solid, liquid, gas, ormus. And the ormus can be solid, liquid, or gas as well. We don't know whether the Ormus elements are monatomic or diatomic. And I want you to describe what that means to people, would you? Ordinary atoms, ordinary metals, have a connection between the metals. It's like a row of line dancers, of ice dancers in a line, okay? Okay. And they're all holding hands, arm to arm, and they're dancing in a row, but they're all connected. Now, if they want to spin, 
if they want to go into a high spin state, if they want to swing their arms and spin and go into a high spin state, they have to let go of the adjoining dancer and swing their arms and then they can spin into a high spin state, into a more energetic state. Well, that's what we think is going on with Islamists. They're no longer connected. They're no longer electron-paired, electron-connected to other atoms or other diatoms or whatever they are. They're now spinning by themselves. Can you explain what monoatomic means, though? That's the part I wanted you to explain as well, if you would, please. Well, monoatomic means it's a single atom. It's not connected to another atom. We are not sure whether the Ormus elements are monatomic or diatomic or maybe something else. Ormus gold has 79 electrons. That means it has an odd number of electrons. So all the electrons cannot be paired. And any electron that is not paired is available for valence bonding with another atom so that they can connect, they can hold hands. And we think that what's going on is that they are no longer able to hold hands, therefore it means that that electron is somehow occupied. It could be occupied with hydrogen. So Ormus gold really could be the next element up on the periodic chart, element 80, mercury. It could be Ormus mercury. And maybe hydrogen has bonded with the gold and made Ormus mercury. We don't know. Or it could be element 79 times 2. Do you think we'll ever be able to measure it if we come up with another device? David Hudson has figured out some ways to measure it, and these ways have been replicated. I think in a large part they involve converting the Ormus into its metallic state, and that that's a necessary part of measuring it. Are you talking about where he borrowed that $350,000 machine that's used for aerospace? Yeah. The thermographic metric analysis machine or the TGA? That's what you're talking about? Yes, yes. Okay, I was thinking of something ordinary and There, there are some spectroscopic, uh, long burn spectroscopy, he called it. Mm-hmm. And there are, are spectroscopic methods of measuring it, but his chemists, worked with this stuff, and they didn't measure it that way. They measured it by identifying its vaporization temperature, separating the elements by vaporizing them, separating them by figuring out which ones would dissolve in acid at pH 4. Little processes like that where they could isolate the individual elements, and that was the way that they determined that 5% of dry matter weight of brain tissue was ormus, uh, rhodium and iridium. These have been replicated, but not enough to make it real science yet. In all of the years that you've been in this research and discovery and application, do you really think that the money for this to take it all the way through is really going to come from academia? We build structures to serve us. I was a cabinet maker and a house builder, and I built the house I'm in. When I put the roof on my house, I wanted to use a roofing material that would last the longest as possible. I built structures, and structures are designed to resist change. Any structure we build, we want it to resist change for as long as possible. I don't want the roof to blow off my house. And we build corporations and governments and religions and Bibles and patents and copyrights 
in the same way. We design them to resist change, but everything in the universe is always changing. Everything is always changing. So we build structures to resist the flow of change. And there are a lot of structures out there that are going to resist any changes that happen. Charles H. Dewell, the director of the U.S. Patent Office in 1899, said, everything that can be invented has been invented. <laughs> okay. it, he was convinced that everything that can be invented has been invented. There's got to be a Bill Gates quote in there, is there? <laughs> Bill Gates said, 640K ought to be enough for anybody. Thomas Watson, the chairman of IBM in 1943, said, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. <laughs> Max Planck wrote in 1948, a new scientific truth does not triumph by convincing its opponents and making them see the light, but rather because its opponents eventually die and a new generation grows up that is familiar with it. That's so astute. Oof. Yeah, and that's where we are. Science advances one funeral at a time, is a paraphrase variation of that. <laughs> Take us into an imaginary place, if you would. Take us into Ormus with full funding and capability to proceed. What we would like to do is we would like to give all of this evidence and proof. We would like to find out how much Ormus is in seawater. If you precipitate seawater by adding lye to it, you get a, a white precipitate that, when dried out, is 30% unassayable. doesn't show up in conventional assay. And we think that that portion is, is Ormus. Out of five gallons of seawater, we'll get one gallon of wet precipitate that can be dried down to a few ounces. It's very common in seawater, we think, but we don't have proof. It isn't conclusively proven to science. So funding for research would allow us to say, hey, there's this much in seawater. And to develop assay methods that weren't necessarily dependent upon spectroscopic assay, or maybe even figure out a way to do spectroscopic assays on it using fairly expensive spectroscopic assay equipment. Then figuring out how much Ormus is in azomite. What is azomite? It's a proprietary mineral from Utah. And what do you mean a, a proprietary? I know what proprietary means. It's, but... a, it's a name that was coined for a specific mineral source in, okay. in Utah. A fellow named Charles Degout took some Ormus made from azomite, and he has a video on YouTube. Just Google Ormus and azomite on YouTube, or do a search on YouTube for Ormus and azomite, and you'll find a video of him moving a magnet around under this azomite powder, or Ormus made from azomite powder, and it jumps away from the magnet. It shows superconductive magnetic levitation properties. But it doesn't work with every mineral, and it doesn't always work the same with azomite. These are variables that we have to identify. It would be nice to identify the best rock sources. And we also have found that, oh, let's say Ormus copper seems to be beneficial for hair color. I've been using Ormus copper product on my beard, and my hair color seems to be coming back. It seems to be beneficial for skin. We don't know which elements are the most beneficial for skin, but people tell me I have the skin of a 30-year-old. I'll be coming to Oregon soon. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I sure hope I didn't have to give it People back. tell me I have nice skin, too, but if they're telling you that you look like the skin of a baby, I'm getting on the next flight. <laughs> it, 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 and I'm not even putting much on my skin. There's a real easy way to make Ormus for topical application, and that is you put oil in Celtic sea salt. That's the gray, damp sea salt you get from your health What kind of oil? I like grapeseed oil because it absorbs into the skin easier, but people use other oils as well. I put grapeseed oil, mix it with Celtic sea salt, shake it up good, let it sit for a few days, and then you can put it on your skin, and it seems to have the effect of reversing aging. One lady put an Ormus skin oil on one side of her face. Her name is Dana Dudley. And on Picasso, you can find some pictures of, of her. And the side that she put it on has a lot less wrinkles than the side that she didn't put it on. Goodbye to the beauty industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of structures that are going to be affected by yes. this. We don't know which of the Ormus elements do which health benefits. We don't know what the role is of rhodium and iridium and gold. The three most common Ormus elements, as it appears, are. You know that when Joe Blankenship was alive, and I met him last year and spent a day and a half with him, he just passed away actually on Christmas Day hmm. last year. I did a four-hour interview with him, which has not been released yet. But and he talked about how so many people across the country were actually taking a teeny, teeny, tiny bit of gold in their system, and it would increase their temperature and they were getting healed of all these diseases. And he said, but they won't let it on the marketplace and they won't let that knowledge become credible for what it is. I just thought it was interesting. He called it medicinal gold, living gold. Right. Well, it's, it's almost gold. Right, right. The thing that we do is I don't sell anything. I just teach people how to make it. I've told people here how to concentrate almost from regular water using a tin can trap how to concentrate it from sea salt using oil. There are other fairly simple ways to precipitate it from seawater and so on. And all of these ways of concentrating the Ormus, the only way it could be banned is if somebody tried to ban breathing <laughs> or eating or drinking water because it's in all water. It's in the air. Pranayama, yogic breathing is a way of concentrating Ormus out of the air, we think. These technologies, these techniques have been around for hundreds, thousands of years. Why did David Hudson patent? I do understand why he patented this discovery method. What I don't understand is, are the elements themselves patented? I'm confused about what this he, means. He attempted to patent the elements and and a way of doing them, and his patent was denied in the U.S. He does have patents that were granted in other countries before the denial in the U.S. How can you patent an element? I don't understand that. Is it because it's a kind of a free-reign well, thing? Well, that, that's probably one of the reasons that... Uh, he patented this particular state of matter, and we know that plants are being patented now. Seeds, the molecular structure of seeds, animals. Yeah. It's terrible. How is that not criminal? How can anybody say they own the molecular structure of anything? Corporations are structures. They're not people. Structures are dead. They're as close to dead as you can get. All structures are built to resist change. Everybody who serves 
structures is dedicated to resisting change. We've set up our patent system and our copyright system and all of the other things to resist change. Belief structures are another set of structures. Science advances one funeral at a time. We've set up these structures to resist change. And so that's a key understanding. And so how do we get this information out and about? Well, if everyone can make it, no one can stop it. It's estimated now that nearly a billion people are hungry in the world. It's disgusting. We're facing more of that kind of hunger in America if the drought continues next summer or if we don't get full recovery from the drought next summer. That means that there's going to be food shortages in America. Barry, don't you think that a lot of the food shortages and the droughts are also being caused in part by human structures that are interfering with our natural order of things? Well, of course, but it's not intelligently implemented. No. It's implemented by stupidity. I was in Europe in January for three weeks, and I got to London, and I looked up in the sky, and I was horrified to find the spraying of the air going on in London. Mm -hmm. Then I went to five other places in England, same thing. Mm -hmm. Then I went to the south of France, to Nice, same thing. Then I took several trains up to Switzerland, same thing. I think it's a Christian thing. What? They say, let us spray. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, you've heard them say that. Let us spray. Uh, that's it. That's what it is. That's interfering with food shortages. That stuff, that metallic stuff coming down, barium. People, people think, hey, maybe we can help this way. And they get locked into, well, it, it worked in this one place, and uh, it should work again, but it doesn't. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thank you for taking time out of your day to tune into the show. For those of you who love the show and you have not yet donated, please donate. Actually live in the fact that you love the show and you want to see it grow and you want to help us enlarge distribution and you want to show that you love the show. So please donate generously. It makes a huge difference. Usually most people that are tuning in can afford 10 to 20 bucks a month minimally to say thank you. This show works on reciprocity and we appreciate whatever comes in with regard to donations. We also want to thank all the people who have been donating monthly and one-time large donations. We've put donations in there from anywhere from $10 to $9,999. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people who have a lot of money and they want to see this go all over the world. So for those of you that are in that position, go for it. Thank you to our advertisers. We feel that a lot of the existing advertising going on on the Internet is inequitable, unfair, and unreliable, and we don't use it. We also don't particularly care for the existing advertising models. We find most of it parasitic and unreliable, but we appreciate whatever advertisers are with us. For as little as $200 a month, you could be an advertiser focusing on your new book, your new blog, your new product, your new service, and have pretty remarkable people that come in and listen to this show, and you'd be surprised who's listening to its rainmaking time. We have the top people in their field, whether they're known or not, best-selling authors, heads of industry, thought leaders in every field imaginable, pioneers, and very enterprising people. 
you should really consider advertising with us. Also, thank you to the people that are posting comments to itsrainmakingtime.com. Thank you to the people that are posting on our YouTube channel, It's Rainmaking Time at YouTube. Also to It's Rainmaking Time at iTunes. If you can go in there and share how much you love the show, it really helps grow the distribution. Thank you to the people that are sharing on LinkedIn and all the social networking groups like Facebook, Google, Yahoo forums, and other forums. Thank you also to people who are sharing via email and other capacities. And back to the show. What do you think about these new laws that are saying that you can't catch your own rainwater? You can't grow a garden. I mean, this is coming up all over America. Mm -hmm. So I think that this knowledge of Ormus is going to be that which potentiates our survival and flourishment from now into the future if we don't learn it. We have to learn it. It's almost like an imperative at this point, isn't it? Yes, I think so. I think it's, it's the very best thing we can do to promote health and longevity and, and well-being and, and the continuation of the human species. I just read an article, How Climate Change Worsened Violence in Syria. The possibility that climate change could affect security is nothing new. The U.S. Department of Defense has proven to be surprisingly progressive in planning for global warming. Basically, what they're saying is that the lack of food due to drought and so on in Syria was one of the drivers for the Arab Spring. Is a textbook example of the link between climate change and social insecurity. When people don't have food, they revolt. I want to just add and say to you about the climate change piece is that though it has become highly politicized, I spent two years and did 35 segments on climate change. Every facet you could imagine. I got death threats over it. And it is clear to me after two years, not only that climate is cyclical, but that unfortunately, because the human race is so interfering and has been for so many years, interfering with our atmosphere, interfering with everything from the microwave stations to chemicals being dumped in the air, on the ground, et cetera, to the water, to every single thing that is part of our biosphere. It is not necessarily climate change, the word climate change. Climate change is all the time. It's a cyclical phenomenon. But the droughts, I believe, after my research, are caused not just by places where there are, quote, natural droughts, but that there are institutions that are causing droughts and that there are derivatives traders that are trading instruments on those droughts. I just came back from London doing an interview with a derivatives trader. I'm not blaming her, but there are people who make markets from droughts. They make markets from floods. They do shorts on emergencies. It's disaster capitalism. So either I know too much, I've read too much, I've done too much research, but I'm over it. I used to be a climate change fanatic. When I got into the details, I learned that climate is cyclical, but that weather is being interfered with all over the world by organizations and institutions, usually military and governments, that are not doing the right thing. Here's another thing that we're doing. Every time we harvest food, from a given area and move it somewhere else. We're removing the Ormus minerals from the soil. Talk about that. That is so interesting. And when we remove Ormus minerals from the soil, the soil dies when the Constitution was ratified. The typical depth of soil in, in America was 28 inches. Now the typical depth of soil is 8 inches. 
Oh, my God, that's frightening. In the last 80 years, we've lost half of the topsoil. Does that have to do with moving it? I don't understand. I'm confused we're, about we're what you said. We're removing minerals that are essential to the health of the soil. Because of overproduction? What is your reason for that? What are you saying is the reason well, that we're losing it? They say, don't poop where you eat. That's one of the rules of agriculture. But it's wrong. We've got to return the minerals that we consume to the soil where it was grown. All animals do that. If we don't do that, we're removing minerals and flushing them into the sea. And the Ormus minerals seem to be the most likely because we don't know about them and we don't replace them. So if you take seawater precipitate and put it on the soil and do some key line plowing, there's a gentleman in Vermont who did some key line plowing on his soil and added Ormus minerals and grew eight inches of new topsoil in one year. Oh my God, that's so exciting. Doubled the depth of his topsoil in one year. He also had cattle grazing there. And Is there a website for him we can read about him? Subtleenergies.com, front slash Ormus, front slash TW, as in the work, front slash topsoil, one word, topsoil.htm. There's numerous examples. I've got a bunch of plant links on my website. And if people want to see these examples, some of them are linked and some of them are not linked on the Subtle Energies website. More of them are linked on Garden Life, G-A-R-D-E-N hyphen L-I-F-E dot W-S for website. That has all of the things that we can do for garden life on Earth. Very exciting. First, I want to ask you the question. I want to go back to the ping pong mm -hmm. table tennis. What is your take on how we're able to play table tennis if, in fact, it has nothing to do with our central nervous system? I think that Ormus is superconducting the thoughts of every cell. There's an instantaneous non-local communication system going on between all the cells in the body. The nerves are just sort of the backup system. So it's kind of like the remote viewers talk about how people actually know things that are going to happen before they happen, seconds even before they happen. And there's no way to necessarily know that per se, but they have non-local awareness. Is that what you're saying the cells have to? Exactly, yes. And every water molecule, it, it appears, we're not sure, but it appears that one pound out of eight in a gallon of water, water weighs 8.34 pounds per gallon, one pound out of the 8.3 pounds per gallon is Ormus. Very interesting. Running water through magnetic traps, we made water that weighs up to 12 pounds per gallon and as low as 7.2 pounds per gallon depending on, on when we weigh it. What does this have to do with super liquidity? I know that there's this whole concept of superconductivity, which is so exciting. But what does super liquidity have to do with Ormus? Imagine that every water molecule is a little geodesic dome, a, a, a spherical geodesic dome. Okay. It's an icosahedron-shaped molecule. We think that Ormus hangs out inside these icosahedral water molecules. This is just a hypothesis, but um, Dr. Martin Chaplin in, in the UK has proposed that water molecules are icosahedral or dodecahedral, and that the icosahedral, um, the geodesic domes, can be 
a, a larger dome or a smaller dome depending upon various factors. We think one of the factors is Ormus seems to like to hide out in tight places. Obviously, it's pretty stealth, too. <laughs> yeah. And we think that that's what's going on. That Ormus is hanging out inside these water molecules. And if it changes its resonance due to our thoughts, due to our intentions, due to uh, a word pasted on the side of a water bottle, that that change of, of information changes the structure of the water molecule, changes the vibration of the ormus inside the water molecule. And if you, um, if you put sand on a plate and put a certain frequency of vibration on the plate, the sand will form a pattern. You change the frequency, the pattern changes from a, from a, a, a tighter pattern to a, a more open pattern or vice versa, depending on the frequency. Well, we change the pattern of the frequency inside the water molecule. It changes the structure of the water molecule. And when you change the structure of the water molecule in that way, then um, a tighter water molecule will go into the cells more easily, carrying nutrients in, and come out of the cells more easily, carrying toxins out. I guess there was this discovery called the aquaporin channel. Are you familiar with it? Yes. In the cells, do you agree with it? Do you think it's a concoction, or do you think it's a real discovery? Too much of anything can be a toxin. Okay. So if too much pierces the cell membrane, you could get toxic. There's a gentleman that sells a product called Stirwands, and he puts minerals inside these plastic containers, and, uh, little wands that you can stir water with. And, and you stir the water with the wand, go to stirwands.com. Right. I've heard of them. And you stir the water, and you can make the water wetter so that it goes into the cells more easily, carries, carrying nutrients in, comes out more easily, carrying toxins out. He did an experiment, and this is not something that he's publicized or anything like that. He just told me on the phone where he, he found some minerals that he put in a stir wand and set it in, into a gunky frying pan that had been, um, that he couldn't clean. It was just fried on grease and gunk. He couldn't get it clean. And uh, he put this in overnight in water. Uh, the stir wand in some water in the frying pan, and then the next morning he dumped it out, and everything came out. Just totally cleaned the frying pan, dissolved, literally dissolved all the the baked on, fried on gunk. Well, that's not something to want to drink. Something that would dissolve your tissue? No, you wouldn't want to drink that. Got it. But it gives you an example of how effectively changing the shape of water changing the shape of the water molecule might be in making the water wetter and more soluble, more solubilizing. Are you comfortable talking about this thing called the Meisner field? Sure. David Hudson talked about this Meisner field that is superconducting, correct me if I'm wrong, and it is also connected to your emotional state it's connected to your energy. And this is what I was told. 
before you use Ormus or you ingest it, you should make sure that you are in a proper place. In other words, you're in a good place because it amplifies whatever's in your Meisner field. Sounds like, you know, I'm speaking Greek and I want you to lay out what the term means. But correct me if I'm wrong. Did I get that right? That he yeah, said it's, that? It's, it's just basically a non-local communication field around things. And the implication is that it involves spooky action at a distance. <laughs> what does that mean? Instantaneous non-local communication. A, a proximity effect like with the stir wands where just the proximity of these minerals can change the structure of the water. Okay. But that's a very good point. One gentleman, he's a Ph.D. chemist, made some pure Ormus gold, according to David Hudson's method, and annealed it, according to David Hudson's patent, and made something that would levitate away from a magnetic field, and then took six micrograms of it and spent the next year of his life manifesting everything he would think of. But he wasn't used to controlling his thoughts. Oh my so God. he would think of, what if I had an accident? Bam, he'd have an accident. What if this water was toxic? He'd get sick. What he learned to do was to do mathematical equations in his head when he wasn't engaged in anything else. That was the way he controlled it. Is his name public or private? It's private. And okay. As far as I know, nobody's ever guessed it. He's obviously been able to tackle the issue of speed. In other words, what we have any intensity about, emotionality about, good or bad, is going to be quickly projected. Is that what you're saying, in yeah, a sense? What you, what you think upon grows, even if what you think upon is gross. Okay. Well, most people don't have much control over what they think and certainly what they feel and think. Most people, when they say, hey, I want the real thing, I want pure, almost gold that's going to make me ascend, hey, it's easier to ascend with a bullet to the head. <laughs> It's like you're standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you shout, I love you. And a minute later, you hear somebody say, I love you. and think, oh, somebody out there loves me. Or you shout, I hate you. And a minute later, you get scared because the echo comes back and wouldn't be a minute, but long enough that you would think that it was something else. Somebody else has said it. Sounds a little like an LSD trip. Yeah. But when the information comes back instantly or overlaps, I love you, I love you, I hate you, I hate you. Oh, you say, I said that. So in that way, it can be helpful because it gives you instant feedback of the manifestation of your thoughts. So are people scared to use this on themselves because most people are not practiced at having their Meisner field, their feeling, and their thoughts under any kind of control? This is the reason why I don't recommend that people make a pure white powder of gold using David Hudson's method and anneal it. What's anneal it? Heat it to a thousand degrees to get rid of all the water or whatever. It's part of his process in his patent. Instead, you take the natural sources of it stuff from seawater, stuff from a tin can trap, or stuff from a Celtic sea salt that you rub on your skin. Because maybe you do want to speed up the manifestation of your thoughts so you can get some better feedback. But you don't want it to be instant. You want it to just be a little bit faster and say, oh, I, I did that. Oh, I said that. I thought that. A lot of people notice that. I, I notice it all the time. I'll be listening to something on television and read it at the same time on my computer. Coincidences. They happen 
all the time. It's the law of attraction. What we think upon grows. We attract what we focus on. The law of attraction is helped, apparently, by lava attraction. Lava is one of the best sources of ormus, and it's used on streets to give people traction in the wintertime. I call that the law of attraction. <laughs> and that gives us traction in understanding how we create what we think about. And realizing that we create what we think about helps us quit thinking about stuff we don't want and spend more time thinking about stuff we do want. Quit thinking about the disempowerment of government or corporations or chemtrails or whatever we're thinking about that is disempowering and think about how, hey, I did that. If I did that, I can quit doing that. Things can get better and things do get better. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. I just want to take a minute or two and share with you that we really appreciate you listening and sharing with your friends and loved ones and colleagues. And if you like the show, show it. Write something really cool, really nice on It's Rainmaking Time at iTunes. We have our own store there. And like our Facebook page. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, feel free to do that. We send a bi-monthly newsletter out. And if you like it, share it with all your friends. Another thing we wanted to share with you is that somebody stepped in and started to do transcriptions for us. We have some transcriptions already done. If you would be interested, please drop us a line. We will be posting the transcriptions that are ready for sale. That's another way to assist the show. And for those of you who are in a position to donate $10 a month or $20 a month or more, please do so. Action speaks louder than words. We appreciate you, and thanks again for listening to It's Rainmaking Time. And back to the show. Let's talk about some of the additional empowering applications, mm -hmm. and let's talk about money coming into your life's work and what other things you would do with it. I'd set up a research center. There's a facility here in Baker City that we could set up to do research in this realm, and that's what we do is we'd set up a research center so we could find out what are the best sources for almost rhodium, what are the best sources for almost iridium, provide good replicable scientific methods for proving that it's in a given material, provide ways of converting metal to ormus to prove that it's there and to get it replicated scientifically. Right. How long do you think it would take you to have some of those pieces of knowledge to know what parts affect other parts? Do you think it would be five years, 10 years, three years? What's your sense? Do you have a hunch about it? We could probably do something pretty quickly, but my hunch is that like all nutrients, all other nutrients work best with other nutrients. Right. Most people have specific nutrients that they're deficient in. Some people get twitches in their eye, and the theory is, well, hey, that's B vitamin deficiency. Maybe one specific B vitamin, but B vitamins should be taken with other B vitamins, and vitamin C works good with bioflavonoids, and all of these different nutrients work better with other nutrients. So figuring out which of the Ormus nutrients works best for which situation, condition, and so on is going to be really helpful. But another thing that would be really, really helpful would be to restore the nutrients in the soil. My plum tree in my front yard produces about seven or eight times as much product as the plum tree in my neighbor's yard. It's five times the size of the plum tree in my neighbor's yard. 
the plum tree in my neighbor's yard is the parent of my tree. I've put ormus on my plum tree, and I haven't put any on their tree, and they haven't put any on theirs. Pretty extraordinary. Yeah. You'd think all farmers would want this. Absolutely, except for those that are working for the M word. <laughs> I want to go back to that piece that you explained regarding the law of attraction. You get what you focus on and all of that. I get all that. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Where I don't agree, and I want to say it just because we're in the public domain here, is that it's a question of degree. In other words, you and I are speaking referentially. We're talking about what's impacting the soil, what's impacting the climate. When I talk about the spraying of the air, for example, in this context, my life is not focused on that. But in the context of understanding also what's happening to the soil, what's happening to the plants, what's happening to the seeds, etc., this shift and why Ormus could potentiate something so important and is so important for our biological wellness and longevity and for all living things, all biological systems. So in the context of that and in the context of the law of attraction, I wouldn't say that I personally have been dwelling on the negative or that which is disempowering about governments. But even as you and I talk about governments as structures and corporations as structures, we still need to be able to speak referentially, which is different than dwelling eight, 10 hours a day on this stuff. So one is to be able to referentially have conversation, to bring in awareness. And I wanted to ask you a question, too, about something. There's a piece of science in physics. I think it came out 15 years ago. And it has to do with whatever you observe. By just observing it, you change it. Do you agree with that? I do. And okay. There's quite a bit of scientific research that supports some of that. I just wanted to know what you felt and what you thought about that. I've written an article on my website, subtleenergies.com, front slash ormus, front slash TW, front slash manifestation.htm. Okay. The process of manifestation, and a lot of the stuff that I've mentioned is in there, and also some quotes from Lao Tzu and the I Ching and Jesus and various other sources. Yes. And also some quotes from scientists, Dr. Fred Allen Wolf, a quote from his introduction to Norman Friedman's book, Bridging Science and Spirit. A lot of different information that basically implies that the thing about infinity is that there sure is a lot of it. <laughs> There's enough infinity that everybody can have at least one. <laughs> and that means that we've each got our universe We've each got a universe of experience, of circumstances, and that sometimes our universes touch, often they touch. The analogy that is used in Fred Allen Wolf's Space, Time, and Beyond is a bunch of layers of film, different outcomes on each film. And a person can go from one layer of film to the other layer of film or back depending upon their attention. And each layer of film is real, is out there, but our focus changes where we go. That's a beautiful example. Very articulate. That's yeah. a great example. Well, this was from Space, Time, and Beyond, 1975, book by Dr. Fred Allen Wolf, And it explains the concept of parallel universes, probable realities, using an analogy of layers of movie film. 
What has been your greatest challenge as the kind of master key holder to the everything Ormus library of understanding? What has been your greatest challenge so far? I want to get the word out. One thing that would help really a lot is if famous people would talk to other famous people and mention it on talk shows. Just getting the word Ormus out there and people would search for it and they'd find all kinds of information. As near as I can tell, this is the very best way to survive for humanity. If we start starving on a more general basis, that'll lead to more wars. That'll lead to more deaths. That'll lead to more pollution. That'll lead to all kinds of related disasters. If we don't have enough water to grow our food, all of these things are related to food. And if people know about Ormus and they can make it for themselves and life is collapsing around them, they may still be able to grow their own garden and thrive in that way. I hear a concern in your voice. I've got a web page called Favorite Disaster. People talk about their favorite disaster all the time. Most people have a favorite disaster scenario. Some favor global warming, others favor peak oil. Financial collapse is a favorite of many people, but geological cataclysm is favored by others. Regardless of which disaster you may favor, the most immediate problem that develops as a result of any disaster will be related to food shortages. Already is estimated nearly 1 billion people are starving on Earth. That's the first paragraph from Garden Life on Earth, garden-life.ws, and Ormus can fix it. And I want the knowledge of Ormus to be out there for more and more people because obviously this is not something that a lot of the structures in the world are going to want to promote. I've gone through your website and read a lot of your work, and I've listened to David Hudson's lectures. How it gets out is very important, too. It needs to be as accessible as possible and streamlined to be digestible to human understanding. Even though it's at the very beginning, there's still a lot of mystery around it, but there's also a lot of evidence about the good things it's doing. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a packaging job. That's why I've decided that one of the first things I'm going to do if I get on a nighttime talk show or something like that is show them my giant nuts. <laughs> I'll take them with me and just pull my walnuts out and show them how much bigger those walnuts are than the walnuts that don't have warmest. You know that I listen to you very differently when you said that. Well, of course. I mean, that's the whole point of humor. <laughs> humor is something that com connects with people. Humor causes people to pay attention. Reverse direction. Well, it, you did. You did like a, a very good job. Sudden reversal of direction, and that, that sudden reversal of direction, people laugh in response to it. When I say my giant nuts, you think one thing, and then when I show you the walnuts, you think something else. You know, it's a funny thing. Ever since the GMO foods have come out, when I see very large fruits or vegetables, I'm always suspect now if they're too large if they're GMO. So I think since we can't count on the labeling part, there are some places that attempt to do it, but I don't know if in other places other than California if they're doing it. But now I think a lot of people, when they see very, very big fruits and vegetables, that they're not sure if they're GMO or not. So this has nothing to do with that. Typically what's happening with GMO foods is, is they're less productive or about the same. That's the latest research is, is showing okay. that. So, I mean, aside from the horrible science of how disruptive they are, but I didn't know and I was always suspect if the food got too big, if it was, in fact, real food. Well, on my website, you can see oranges the size of cantaloupes, walnuts the size of tennis balls. These I just are wonder examples. if it's still nutrient-dense. 
Yeah. Basically, this is where they're supposed to be. It's just that we've been removing the nutrients from the soil for so long. Yes. That they just can't get that big. Let us suppose that there were skeptics out there in terms of digesting or using ormus on themselves physically. At the very least, I think that it's immediately testable on your skin and immediately can be put to use in gardens and growing plants and food and exactly. very exciting. I do want you, before we finish the show today, to talk about the tail of the cat that came off in an accident and grew back because I looked at the pictures on your site and at first when I heard it, I thought, I mean, I've heard of limbs growing back. I've heard of this, but I've never witnessed anything and I've never talked to anybody where this happened. So share the story. I know you've shared it on other shows, but I'd like you to share it because it's pretty mind-blowing. This cat, uh, his name was Tut. The story is on Tut's tail on my website. He lost his tail in a windstorm. The roof of Dana's garage fell on it or something like that um, and chopped his tail off down to about an inch of tail left. He came in literally dragging his tail behind him. It wasn't completely disconnected. Dana didn't do anything. She let him drag it around until it fell off within a short time and saved the tail. Now, a tail is made of bone and cartilage and what else? And nerves. Everything in any limb is made of. Okay. Nerves and bones and cartilage and muscle and everything. She was putting some hand cream on, some Cleopatra's milk from priestessalchemy.com. And when she put this hand cream on, Tut came over and started licking her hand. So she'd put more hand cream on, he'd lick her hand more. And I have a video of him, just three teaspoons full of this hand cream that she kept dripping on her hand and he kept licking it off. And this stuff doesn't taste good. You've heard the phrase, just like herding cats. <laughs> it's hard to get a cat to do anything. He really liked the hand cream. I mean, really liked the hand cream. And that suggests that there was something in there that was beneficial. Well, soon after that, she noticed that his tail was regrowing. And there's pictures of it regrowing and then pictures of it completely regrown on my website. And just from eating this skin cream... You mean the one time or many times? No, every time she used the cream, she'd start using it regularly on her hand, he'd eat it. I'm not sure if it's the same cream that she put on one side of her face and the wrinkles went away, but I think it might be. After about a year, his tail was completely regrown. I had trouble getting her to send me pictures. Because? Uh, and she had trouble taking the pictures because he became quite independent and rarely came home, was out hunting and so on in the field next to her house. But she finally sent me pictures of him strutting around with his fully regrown tail. Wow. I don't know if it would have worked this way if his tail had been lost three years before he started taking the cream. I doubt it, but that's one of the things we need to explore. I don't intend to cut tails off of cats in any research, but... Uh, but she didn't put any on her hands and put it on what was left of the tail. It was just through no, ingestion. She didn't put any on... She may have put a little on topically, but mostly it was him eating it. Wow. And I have a video of her feeding it to him. I do lectures and have all of this stuff and show these videos and stuff. And I'm going to be doing one in Southern California in the L.A. area in late August at the Ormus Fest. There's a fest. Yeah. Is it a conference? It'll be a, an Ormus conference, yeah. Oh, great. 
and then there's going to be another one right after that in Central California. There have been a lot of people that have jumped into the Ormus field and kind of put their spin on this. I'm sure you've watched a lot of this. <laughs> what do you think as you look out and see what people are doing? Anything that gets the information out. I, yeah. I'm reluctant to endorse people that call it monotonic because we don't know if it's monotonic or diatomic or something else. But right. there are people that do that. And people that have said, hey, this is awful stuff and you got to avoid it. You can find anything you want on the Internet. But about the only way I can think of to avoid it is to quit breathing and quit drinking water or consuming food, I think that would probably be more harmful than consuming it. It's everywhere. It's just that we've depleted it, and we need to get it back into our lives at the levels that we evolved with, basically. There are a lot of suppliers popping up out of the blue that are offering what we are referring to as Ormus. And I notice you have a place on your website that has given a list of these different places. Yes. I'm sure you don't want to have to check everybody out, but do you spend any time getting to know the people before they're put up on your site? Or Yes. And you feel comfortable, obviously. Yes. These are all people that I know, and I've heard reports. I've created more than 80 local and global Ormus forums, and people discuss their results on these forums. First, you can find the sources, subtleenergies.com, front slash Ormus, front slash TW, front slash sources.htm. It's a list of Ormus providers. And then replace the word sources with forums, forums.htm. And you can find a list of forums you can join to discuss your effects. Because like I said earlier, we're at the very beginning of research in this. And mostly all we we're getting is anecdotal reports. The tin can trap was an anecdotal report that was posted by a guy named Bo Long in 2009. I use it as a good example of a cheap and easy way to make hormones. He posted it on one of the forums, and I said, hey, can I put that up on my website? Easy is important. Yes, that's why I was talking about ease of accessibility for people to get to it. I think that piece is the piece, because to be able to get into an application quickly mm -hmm. And to have the right guidance of how to get into the application is the fastest track to getting this known. Yeah. And the oil method, which I invented, oh, in 1997, finally some people wrote it up. One of them, Sharon Rose, is, is making an Ormus oil product, Blue Rose Essential Oils. And she basically wrote up her experiences with it in ways of mixing it with essential oils and so on to make the oils more potent. And she calls it live oil, and I think that's a great name for it. But I have tendonitis in my left wrist, or I noticed that my left wrist was hurting when I moved it back and forth. And so I put some of this live oil on it, and the pain went away, like overnight. So I just regularly put it on. I have a, a split in my thumb near my thumbnail where the skin splits when I do things that dry my hands out, like using solvents and soaps and stuff like that. You know, if I put this live oil with Celtic sea salt and grapeseed oil mix, I put it on and that disappears quickly. Those are some real easy ways to do this stuff. I use it all the time and, and it really seems to help. What business are you in now? How do you support what you're doing right now? Is it mostly through donations? I retired in 1970, January 1st, 1970. I said, I'm going to let the Lord provide. And so far, it's worked pretty well. Um, That's incredible. 
Yeah, I live on donations, and I own my own house, and I get rent from a roommate, and have a, a rental house, and I get money from that. But I also get donations from Ormus folks. That's fantastic. So you're really ready. You're not encumbered anywhere. You're ready to go full speed into the research as much as you can. Oh, absolutely. Okay. That's but, great. You know, mainly the only encumbrance is time. I spend probably 12, 13 hours a day sitting in front of my computer, teaching people about Ormus and talking on the phone and adding people to the forums and stuff like that. Thank you so much for what you're doing, Barry Carter. Really, you know, you're a wonderful steward. You really are. You're the real kind of steward. (laughs) You're the real kind of stewardship that is needed. Even more is needed. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Is there anything else you'd like to say as we close about where you're at about Ormus? What you'd like to say about Ormus as we close the show today? Well, I think that if a lot of the things that we've seen pan out, this will be the greatest scientific discovery in human history. It far surpass anything else. It, it just is going to change everything we know about everything. I'm very excited to be part of it. I'm very excited to learn about it. I'm very excited to advocate it, and I'm delighted to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who've been listening to this interview with Barry Carter and are interested in finding out more about how to put Ormus to work for you and your plants and your farms and yourself, go to Subtle energies.com s-u-b like boy t-l-e e-n-e-r-g-i-e-s.com barry carter i hope to have you on again i think with john maluski and a few other people thank you so much for being with us thank you